welcome to the Every Woman Book Club. I'm Rebecca Lewis and I'll be your host for this series, introducing you to a fresh new bookshelf packed with inspirational, thought-provoking and challenging new titles. In each podcast, I'll be unravelling the details with our authors, exploring their themes and how they relate to women in the workplace and the wider world. We'll also be giving you a chance to put your own questions to each of our authors in live Q&As streamed regularly on the Every Woman Network. So keep an eye on everywoman.com slash book club for invitations to this exclusive content. So my guest today is Sarah Ewis-Green, author of You Are an Artist. It's a gorgeous book filled with imagery, both beautiful and curious, and stories of a very diverse group of artists. But it's more than just a coffee table art book. It's filled with assignments to spark creation in even the least artistic of us. Each artist profiled by Sarah inspires a series of exercises designed to unleash your own creativity. And we're not just talking about painting or sculpting here. These assignments ask you to take part in a stakeout, rename colours on a paint chart, organise random meetups with your friends in the middle of lakes and arrange your bookshelves in a way that allows the words on the spines to tell a short story of their own. So Sarah, welcome. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you. And so tell us a little bit about the inspiration for this book. Did you just wake up one day and think, oh, I'll just go on a bit of a tour around the States <laughs> meeting all these artists? What, what was the light bulb moment that sparked it all off? Well, it was less of a light bulb moment and more of a slow realization uh, when I was working as a curator in an art museum, um, which was a job I had studied for and really wanted to do. And I worked in that role for a number of years. But I just kept feeling like there was something missing um, in terms of art education between when people were sort of living their lives and then arrived in an art gallery or museum. When I talk to people inside of galleries and take them on tours, a lot of people are, I, I think, ready to sort of be with art and talk about art and be open to that experience. But uh, more people, I felt, weren't really open-minded to the experience. And it was a bit frustrating for me because I kind of felt like I needed to step outside the museum and really think about the way that art is introduced pe to people. Um, and so I started to sort of cook up this idea to ask artists to come up with art assignments based on their own practice that would challenge people to understand art that wasn't necessarily easy to understand from the outset, that would challenge people to sort of step into the shoes of an artist and see the way that they see the world. And through getting to know these different artists and doing assignments based on their practice, you would sort of step by step open up a little bit so that when you did walk into a gallery or museum and see a, what may have once appeared like a random collection of objects, you'd think, you know what, this I, I want to be open-minded to this. I want to try to understand how this might relate to me. Um, so that's really sort of where it came about. Um, and during this process, I, I learned that um, the public broadcasting service, uh, PBS, here in the U.S. was coming up with new online um, 
video series, and they were accepting proposals for ideas for this. So all of this kind of came together in this moment. And I thought, you know what, I, I need to leave my museum job. I need to go out into the world. And I need to talk to artists and try this concept. And like most concepts, you have no idea when you're doing it, if it's actually going to work. It was kind of a theory. Um, and so through creating this video series called The Art Assignment that I pitched to PBS here, um, I came up with this concept and went out into the world and started talking to artists, interviewing them and gathering these assignments and making videos about them. And all that while, I, I knew that I also wanted to make a book out of this experience. Um, online video is great and all, but there are things that you can do um, on the printed page and sort of in a slower, more contemplative way in a book uh, that doesn't really jibe with YouTube. What comes across really strongly, especially in your introduction, Sarah, is that you are really, really passionate about getting, you know, normal people in more in touch with their creative sides. Where, where does that passion come from? Why, why is that something you're so driven to do? Well, I know that for me, interacting with art, making art, uh, sort of being with art has been an extremely fulfilling and educational part of my life. It's how I relate to other people. It's how I sort of understand other people's experience, people with, ex with lives very far away from mine, either in terms of time or geography or, you know, even somebody within my own city, I have a vastly different experience of life than they, they do. And for me, it's a way, a way to broaden your world, um, to, to look at art, to understand art, to make art. And it's a great way to communicate with other people. So, you know, I, I just want to, I want other people to have that too. Um, and I think there's so much uh, media output about sort of the luxury goods side of the art world and the art market. And that for me, you know, it's not why any of us make art when we're kids. Um, it's not what what makes artists wake up in the morning to create. There's so much more to it. So I, I'm passionate about it because it's been an important part of my life. And I think it could really help us <laughs> as, as, uh, as humankind uh, relate to one another. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it certainly inspired me. I've got a very long list of projects I want to take up now, much <laughs> to my husband's amusement, I must say. Um, oh, but while I was reading it, I found myself thinking, oh, that would be a great, um, almost like a date night you know, thing mm, to do together, yeah. or that would be a great thing to do with the kids. And I, I was quite smug. I thought, this is quite inspired of me, you know. And then I got to the <laughs> end of the book, and I realized that you've actually listed all of the, you know, the assignments by category, and one of them is with a friend and with the kids. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. not that inspired, actually. But um, oh. you, you do invite people to share the results of their assignments on the hashtag you are an artist. So what kind of things have you seen appearing there? Is there anything that particularly stands out for you? 
Yes, I've seen some amazing responses to these assignments. Um, some of the most memorable ones for me are based off of the assignment uh, that's titled Off, <laughs> uh, that's offered by the artist Lauren Zoll. And uh, the assignment is a strange one, uh, but a really wonderful one. And when the artist first explained to me her idea for the assignment, I thought, this is nuts. This is never going to work. But the assignment is <laughs> to now. take a picture of a screen that is off. So, of course, this involves two devices, but many of us have many more than two devices around us at any given moment. Um, but it seems like a screen that is off contains no information. But what it actually is, is a mirror. And it's reflecting the world around it and in sometimes distorted ways with dust and scratches and fingerprints and uh, distortions. And when you do this exercise, it's really remarkable because, you know, this thing that is so much around us and that we just tend to tune out it's actually full of information. So when I first tried this assignment, um, you know, I I got out my phone and I sort of went around and there were reflections in off screens that I thought would look interesting. But then when I actually looked through my phone, it wasn't. So you really have to sort of understand the way camera lenses works or the difference between the way you see the world and the way the camera sees the world. And the images that we've received back from this assignment are just gorgeous. I mean, they're abstract. They're sort of brilliant colors, even though they're all sort of based off a black screen. And one of my favorite responses is somebody who um, is a scientist was in a, a meeting uh, pre-coronavirus, clearly, and uh, everyone had their laptops out. And she looked across the room and saw a reflection in someone's laptop screen of the window behind it with all of this beautiful foliage. And she said, oh, it's an off. <laughs> and she took a picture and it's this sort of drab uh, meeting room, beige everywhere, but this gorgeous reflection on the screen. And, you know, I've started seeing them everywhere now. Wow. <laughs> so, Maybe there's an know, exhibition in the making here. Uh, perhaps. So you mentioned coronavirus there. I wonder how your movement has been impacted by that. Have you seen an upsurge of creations during lockdown or... Yes, I mean, I think uh, there there are no parts of life that aren't affected by what's going on. And I've seen sort of two directions. Um, I've seen people who uh, are able to use this time if they if they have um, extra time at home um, to create things and to use online platforms. Uh, as a forum for sharing their work, for talking about work, for trying new things. So I've definitely seen um, a lot of people who are looking to not only entertain and create fulfilling experiences for themselves, but also for their children, a way to connect with family members. Um, I think that uh, a number of the assignments in the book are, are designed to be done with other people, and that can often be virtual. Um, and, you know, many of the assignments, one of them asks you to interview your family members about all the makes and models of cars they've ever owned. Um, yeah. So, 
you know, it, it could, a lot of these are a good way to sort of connect with people despite these challenging circumstances. Uh, but I've also seen a lot of people who are not feeling creative right now, who are feeling really overwhelmed and anxious and sort of not in a place um, to tap into their own creativity. And I, I completely get that and I understand that. And one of my goals with the book um, and with designing these assignments is that sometimes you just need to be sort of exposed to an idea. Um, I know for myself, when working with these artists to uh, devise the assignments and present them, um, I don't necessarily have an idea for something right away. Um, but like the off assignment, you read about it, you learn about it, and maybe it's six months later that you're in a room and you you say, oh my gosh, that's a, an amazing reflection in that television that's off. Um, or, you know, there's an assignment that's to um, make make a rug out of your old dis discarded t-shirts. And, you know, maybe you don't do that now, but maybe in a year when you have this box of old t-shirts that you're wondering what to do with, maybe you're like, oh, you know, I remember that assignment to make a rug. I'm going to pull out the book. I'm going to give it a try. So how has lockdown impacted your creativity? Have you been up at dawn weaving rugs? Please tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I have not. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I am a I'm a mother of two uh, two school age children, and so I have definitely been um, in occupying the role of of teacher and all else uh, during this time, and so I have definitely worked with them on some art assignments and. Um, often, you know, my creativity is impacted because my kids never want to take any art direction from me. <laughs> they don't. They they don't like it when I tell them what to do, um, which I which I get. Um, and so I, I try to take their lead. So I'll sort of see what they want to do. And you know, my my uh, ten year old son wanted to create these little stick figure guys out of popsicle sticks and twine and then burn them in the fireplace. And I was like, why not? <laughs> I, yeah, I was like, you know what? That seems like a great thing, thing to do today. Let's make <laughs> popsicle figures and burn them. But um, so on the one hand, I've been following the lead of my kids. And on the other hand, I have been finding that um, more repetitive action is really sort of soothing and anxiety relieving for me. So um, there's one assignment in the book offered by Michelle Grabner uh, that's paper weaving. And it's yes. a very sort of seemingly simple exercise where you make cuts into one piece of paper and then weave uh, uh, weave strips of another piece of but paper. But very precise, it. isn't it? Very, yes. very specific. And yes, um, but I like that it's something that I can kind of set up and measure and I don't have to sort of think a lot about it. Um, I, if I, if I make my measurements precise and I get everything ready, then it's a weaving exercise. Um, and it's sort of something that can occupy my hands in a way and free my thoughts to do whatever um, I want to do. So, um, so that's, that's been helpful for me. I mentioned in the introduction that there is a huge amount of diversity in the book. Um, we see a lot of different ethnic backgrounds, um, a lot of women being um, featured, age, background, it's all there. And I just wonder to what extent was that deliberate on your part or did it just sort of play out that way? 
Oh, no, it was extremely deliberate. Um, from from the outset of this project, it was very, very, very important to me um, to show a cross section of um, of artists making things today, and that doesn't, I, in my experience, that almost never happens by accident, um, especially with my background in museums. Um, you know, we have such a history of uh, you know of solely inclusion of white males, uh, often from privileged backgrounds. And the only way to get away from that is to be extremely strategic about programming, because in the cases of a lot of museums, their collections are are entirely white males or almost entirely. So it takes um, very concerted effort to build beyond that and to build collections in different directions. So with this project, um, I knew from the start that it it had to be um, a diverse group of people. I wanted it to be a diverse group of people. It wasn't just sort of a politically correct action. Um, I wanted to, it, selfishly, I wanted to meet a huge range of artists. I mean, the, one of the coolest things about my job is that I get to ring up artists and say, hey, can I come visit your studio? And I get to meet people who I wouldn't meet otherwise. So yeah, I did a lot of research and made sure that um, there that I was reaching out to a broad cross-section of, of artists. And that, that seems like a good time to talk about the Gorilla Girls, um, yeah. which is the anonymous group who use art to complain about injustice. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of their famous pieces, which I absolutely love, is the poster um, that says, do women have to be naked to get into the Met Museum? Um, and they use this st- statistic, um, less than 4% of the artists in the modern art section are women, but 76% of the nudes are female. Now, that's really powerful. And I, I just wonder, in terms of the power of art as a device for change, were there any other sort of standout memories from your tour? Yeah, I um their their work is extremely transformative for me. Um you know, and there are many artists uh in this book who I um I met in compiling this project who really sort of have stood out to me especially now in this moment of extreme social change. Um and one of them is actually Alison Smith who came up with this assignment called The Muster, um, where you're asked to uh, contemplate what you're going to stand for. Um, so mm-hmm. not necessarily what you're against, but what what are you fighting for is the question. And then you're supposed to write um, a manifesto and construct yeah. a costume or uniform <laughs> that uh, that explains and describes and declares your cause. Um, and I think that's a really wonderful way to think about it that I've actually been thinking about a lot during this time when I think many of us are thinking about what we want to say and how we want to say it. And to me, sort of thinking about um, what are you fighting for and how are you going to proclaim it and share it in a memorable way? It's kind of a combination of what the Gorilla Girls ask you to do mm-hmm. um, yeah. and this other assignment. Uh, but you know, these are these are extremely important questions. And I think when many of us are like looking at our social media feeds um, or thinking about what we want to say publicly, whether it's a sign in our in our uh, in front of our home um, or or 
just what our avatar is and a social media account, you know, how, how do you want to express yourself? Um, the, these are platforms, these platforms are very powerful. Um, and what is a way that you can voice uh, what you believe in uh, in a way that other people uh, are going to hear you. Yeah, absolutely. And there were a few other moments, actually, well, many moments in the book that almost sort of really stopped me in my tracks for various different reasons. Um, David Brooks, um, mm. who's the artist that sculpts the the rhinos, even though he's mm-hmm. never obviously never seen one. And then the assignment asks us to imagine something or visualize something that we know that we'll never see in our lifetime. And one person had responded with a portrait um, of a father that they'd drawn, but the father that they'd never know. The only information they had of him, I suppose, was someone else's memory of his appearance. I found that really sad, a bit sort of gut-wrenching. Yeah. I, I just just wonder, were there any particularly standout emotional moments for you as you were meeting the artists? You have actually pinpointed a, a very um, moving assignment for me. Uh, you know, when I, when I met that artist, David Brooks, um, and he was describing how he was working on this project where he was um, coming up with a way to create a sculpture that in some way uh, reflected an endangered species. Like it's something that we know exists, we know is of critical importance to to care about and protect at this moment, but it's so far away. And he was coming up with a way to make a sculpture of these uh, that that uh, sort of equated to the weight of the endangered species and to make it real, to put it in the room with you and not a photorealistic sculpture of um, of an animal, but um, but like a, a sort of embodiment so that you could f- sort of see how heavy it is. And so um, they're really wonderful. And the the response that you mentioned just floored me when it came through. It's it's this wonderfully sort of um, ethereal drawing. Um, the lines are a little bit hesitant. Uh, I mean, I, I couldn't I couldn't imagine that process of not never having met your father, but knowing what you look like, knowing what your mother look, looks like, and then sort of deducing what yeah. your father must look like. Um, it's, it's incredibly moving and powerful. I mean, I, um, uh, 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 several of them have been emotional for me in a more drawn out sense um, or in sort of a quieter, slower sense. Um, I think the ones that have really affected me the most uh, were my visit to the artist J. Morgan Pewitt, who offered the assignment Scramble Scrabble Dinner, where Mm -hmm. you come up with an unusual way to create a meal um, by playing a game with the letters of your name and your meal sharers' names. Uh, But when I visited uh, her home um, in... uh, uh, rural Pennsylvania, 
her whole approach to life is about sort of reconsidering the domestic space and being very thoughtful about every part of it. Um, so, you know, you can go, you can visit uh, Mildred's Lane during normal times, of course, um, and you could take a course in how to curate and arrange your refrigerator. <laughs> you wow. can take a course on how to properly clean a toilet or do the dishes or how to reimagine all of these household chores that are so much uh, you know, for me personally, I consider them drudgery and just yeah. something I have to do. But she really sort of shifted my mindset so that, you know, now I at least I try. I'm not always successful. But if I'm doing the dishes, <laughs> let's say, I think, you know, how would J. Morgan Pewitt do this? Let's do this in a mindful way. <laughs> let's do the dishes artfully. Um, so, I, you know, or if I'm going to put if I'm going to throw, let's say, um, some peaches into the refrigerator, maybe I'm going to get out this lovely bowl that I never get out um, because I don't entertain anymore. And I'm going to put the peaches in that lovely bowl and I'm going to set that inside the refrigerator instead of just like tossing them into a drawer. <laughs> so, you know, those are little things that um, just improve my life in like mm. little ways every day. My bathroom needs cleaning. So I might suggest <laughs> my husband does it artfully later. Yes. Um, <laughs> there, there's a lot of imagination, obviously, in the book, but there was one that stood out to me and I just thought, wow, that's genius, um, was Pablo Helguera. I don't know if mm -hmm. I pronounced that properly. Helguera, um, so, yeah. so he found this book in a secondhand store and he liked the cover and he bought it even though it's in Norwegian, which obviously he, he doesn't know any Norwegian. But despite that, he sets about translating it based on how the words sound in Spanish and English. And it's just, <laughs> I think it turned out <laughs> the book was about the history of archaeology in farming villages in the Middle Ages, which obviously you would not know from his interpretation <laughs> or his <laughs> illustrations. But it's just, that just struck me as, you know, that's a really imaginative mind. Um, and I wondered who else might have stood out for you just in terms of pure imagination. The first artist I thought of when you said this was Lenka Clayton, who came up with the assignment Lost Childhood Object. And uh, Lenka's work is outstanding, and I encourage everyone to look it up. But she has done a variety of projects, including um, a collection of objects that she took out of her toddler son's mouth. And it's called 63 <laughs> Objects Taken from My Son's Mouth. And she presented them beautifully, like in a sort of a minimalist grid arrangement on a table. And she made a little book out of it. Um, but she has this remarkable capacity for looking at the very mundane world around her and seeing it in a new way. I know she made a tiny sculpture that's a perfect stack of um, confetti <laughs> from, a, from a party. Uh, and she also, the assignment in the book uh, is a really wonderful one uh, called Lost Childhood Object. And she asks you to interview someone about something they loved when they were a child but no longer have or lost. Uh, and then you make it for them. And obviously, you can't make it perfectly or exactly, but you're supposed to use whatever you have around you uh, to remake it. And it's actually a wonderful exercise to do with someone else, whether you're together or afar, where you interview each other. And Lenka and I did this for each other. She described this little bear 
um, that she had when she was a child and she described it very well. And then I did my best to sort of hack together this little bear. <laughs> I have no sewing skills, but I had a few scraps of fabric around and did my best. And I described this little Lego house <laughs> that I remember making as a kid and, and she made that for me. And then we exchanged it. Many different things can be art supplies and artists like Lenka remind me of that all the time. Yeah, I guess for the average person that there is a bit of fear around doing anything artistic and they will naturally think about having to buy paint and canvases and they'll remember their, you know, art reports from school and just immediately think, you know, we always hear this term, oh, I don't have a creative bone in my body. Um, if, if there's somebody reading this book and that they aren't a professional um, artist or they aren't a hobby artist and they don't even work in the creative industry, say they work in insurance or financial services or retail or something like that, how... How do you sell them on the benefits of creativity specifically for their careers? What is it about doing assignments like this that can actually benefit them in their professional lives? Well, I think that maybe the best way um, is making art and learning about art and doing, an, say, an assignment uh, can sort of improve your life is that, you know, when you allow yourself to be vulnerable um, and maybe that's even just putting pen to paper. Um, one of the assignments is to try to draw your home blindfolded. Let's take that as an example. You know, maybe you don't know how to draw or you think you don't know how to draw. Everyone, everyone can draw in some way. Um, but doing this exercise is a way of loosening yourself up a little bit, taking yourself a little bit less seriously and um and exploring the concept that you can learn new tricks and that you can access parts of yourself that you're um, maybe not familiar with. And I think no matter what you do for a day job, you know, the life of the mind is extremely important. And I think that giving yourself something to do like this can can make life be fun, fulfilling, worthwhile, no matter how you collect a paycheck or, or pay the bills. So um, for me, art is something that is not separate from life. It, it can happen sort of on a side table in, um, in your room that you kind of constantly have going. I like, to, I like to pull images from newspapers or magazines that I find interesting, and I just kind of have a little stack of them. And I like to collage them and cut out images and sort of arrange them on a page because it doesn't have to be premeditated. I don't have to like have an idea and a completely blank sheet of paper. I'm working from other things. And for me, doing that sort of thing... Um, sort of on the side with my life and not like, okay, I need an art studio, I need supplies, is a small way to um, create meaning. <laughs> it's a small way to connect with others and to make yourself vulnerable. And that I feel can, can and should be done by anybody. I guess one of the common reasons or excuses for why people don't maybe indulge their creative sides a little bit bit more is that just I have no time for it I, I can't mm -hmm. fit it into my life so how do we ensure that we are fitting creativity into our 
daily lives do you have any particular systems that you use <laughs> to make sure that you are always as creative as you can possibly be as, as a person who until a few months ago was extremely busy <laughs> I mean I'm still busy but uh, with vastly less travel and moving about and shuttling kids about I I, I think that um, a lesson that artists have taught me is that art, again, art doesn't need to be a separate activity from your life. And if you think about an artist like Lenka Clayton, it's often about reframing things that you're already doing. She was already pulling objects from her toddler son's mouth. So it was about collecting them. Um, and so I think it's more about being attentive to what's around you. And so you know, maybe you're, you take a walk on your daily commute. Maybe you walk to work. Maybe you bike to work. Maybe it's only from your bedroom to another corner of your bedroom. <laughs> Whatever that is, I think it's important to sort of be awake to those decisions, um, being awake in those moments where you think nothing is going on. Uh, and I also think, you know, we're, a lot of us are using social media a lot. And so we are looking at images constantly. We are creating images frequently. We are thinking about what is the message we want to put out into the world and craft it. And so I, I think that we're already doing creative and artistic things. And it's a matter of reframing our mindset to doing those things more mindfully um, and in a way that you'll get more from them. They're not, they, they don't need to be something that are just sort of done offhand. They can be something that's world expanding and fulfilling um, and not just sort of the drudgery of everyday life. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sarah. That was fascinating and best of luck with the book. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Every Woman Book Club. If you're not already a member of the Every Woman Network, you can join today to accept your invitation to take part in our live online Q&As, where you can put your own questions to our authors from wherever you are in the world. Membership of the Every Woman Network also gives you access to tons of content designed to help you advance your career, from webinars and podcasts with inspirational female role models, to workbooks, quizzes, and lots more. Visit everywoman.com slash network to begin your journey today.